Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss two films, Bewitched and The Crow. You don't have to have seen either film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen them, just be aware there may be plot spoilers. Enjoy. Hello there. Hello. I see an extremely spooky man on my screen, and I'm not He's talking about Dracula. No. <laughs> not talking about heart-haired Dracula from Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Which is, we've already talked about, go listen to that episode, but shortly, it's amazing. Keeping it brief, go watch it, it's awesome. Yeah, it's very good. It's one of the best Draculas out there. Yeah, of the many Draculas. I'm talking about the characters, Draculas, by the way. The plural. Yeah, yeah. Dracula's general. <laughs> yeah. Dracula's general. Dracula's men. <laughs> so how are you today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm happy that it's spooktober. Sorry to everyone that we didn't do an episode last week. I just was too busy with the baby and stuff, but he's all kind of settled down now. So yeah, we're good. We already our house is already full of pumpkins. We've got decorations up. It's great. We went to the pumpkin patch on the weekend, and we're going again this weekend because my older son loves it so much. His pumpkins are his favourite thing in the world. By the way, those those um, soft pumpkins that you got him, he like cuddles those when he goes to sleep. Oh, that is amazing. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. So yeah, he's a he's a pumpkin obsessive. I mean, this is the perfect time of year for him. Is the pumpkin season. So so why not make the most of it and go as go as often as possible? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, genuinely, I, I always thought Halloween was fine. Autumn's a good season. Pumpkins are cool. But, like, his kind of love for it has made me want to just go full on with all of it. And it's made me see it all in a, in a new light. So now oh, I, I appreciate a good pumpkin. Excellent. And pumpkin spice. And pumpkin spice. How do you feel about pumpkin pie? Yeah, I like pumpkin pie. We're going to make some this weekend. I had... I can't remember the name of the restaurant, so this is a really terrible endorsement. But I was up in London once at a vegan restaurant that did, like, the tastiest pumpkin pie oh. I've had in my life. A vegan restaurant? Yeah. And so I That's don't... That's very woke of you. I, I am awoke. I'm part of the anti-growth coalition, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. but, yeah, no, Next I can't remember the name of the restaurant. Tracking, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't love destroying the environment for like two to three years of getting gas out of the ground and then giving that money to shareholders and then just having a wasteland? Perfect long term strategy there, guys. Brilliant. It's essentially forcing the earth to fart. Yeah, it's 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 earth farting. Earth farting. What is wrong with my brain? Earth um, <laughs> farting. Uh, if I ever get the opportunity, I'll, I'll ask. Um, I'll ask the current government what they think of Arthverting. Arthverting sounds like something from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it does. It's um, it's what um, what Galadriel finds deep in the the darkest woods. Some uh, kind yeah, of little she, goblin man. She found the Arthverting, <laughs> and he went. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so we've got a sort of twofer this evening, don't we? Yeah. We're going to very briefly be talking about the movie that we were going to be talking about last time. Which, yeah, which is the film Bewitched 2005, which is the one that I struggled to remember the name of and confused with the film we were watching a few episodes ago, <laughs> which <laughs> yes. was, what was that? Just Like Heven. Just Like Heaven. Which yeah. is a surprisingly good film. Which was past our expectations. Um, whereas Bewitched slightly didn't meet my expectations and my expectations weren't particularly high to begin with. No, that that's absolutely <laughs> fair. And I'm kind of glad that we can we can not skip over it, but we, we don't have to spend as much time on it. Because in many ways, there's not loads to say about it, is there? No. Because it's actually very weird and of little substance. Yeah, it's it's like um it's like David Icke, weird and of little <laughs> substance. Um <laughs> There's a few things that I liked about it, which maybe I'll talk about. 
first before we get onto the stuff that's bad. Yeah, yeah. The, it's not it's not a hateful piece. No, it's not it's not no. bad necessarily, but it's not good either. I think weirdly, and it's really really odd to say this. This might be Nora Ephron's shit piece. <laughs> I think that might be true. Yeah, I think that's accurate. That's a that is a real um, a real thing to say about this movie. Her shit piece. Yeah, which isn't something you'd, you'd think was possible, but it, it's there and it exists. It is, yeah, because it is strangely, um, it's strangely high concept as a meta remake of Bewitch, the old show. The old show from the 60s. Yes, done via a movie that's about the remake of the show as a new show. Which is just so weird. And who is that? Who is that for? Honestly, I have no idea who that idea is for, or how that got greenlit, or how it got made. It's for fans of the original who also didn't particularly like the original. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a really strange idea, and but you why do that? Why not just remake it? Like the idea of like the basic premise of the show, as I understand it, I've never seen the '60s show. But it, it's the a man has married a woman and then he finds out she's a witch. Hilarity ensues. That's a good enough concept for a film. If you if you're going to put Nicole Kidman and Will Ferrell together in a film, that's a good enough concept, right? Yeah, and it's interesting that they then decided to do it as this kind of meta take on because this is. I mean, remakes had been starting to ramp up at this point in Hollywood. Obviously, there's always been remakes of movies for as far back as movies have existed. Yeah. I wonder if at this time remakes were unpopular and, and everyone was saying, oh, uh, we've had too many remakes. Let's not just do a straightforward remake. You can't just do a straightforward remake of anything. You've got to do some kind of cool meta thing. And then they made this and then they were like, no, you know what? It's fine to make a remake. Yeah, and I, I think this was kind of at the era when you were getting quite a lot of remakes going on. Because um, when was when was this movie? 2005. Yeah, so this was around the same time that they were doing stuff like the Alfie remake and everything like that. So we were we were in the middle of the big return of the, the movie remake. Popular where it 2005 really, films, I'm just looking through. Where it really went, um, it really went all out into doing lots and lots of remakes. Um, And so I think there's probably that element of it, isn't there, that this was a film that was kind of there as like, ah, remakes, aren't they silly? Yeah. Imagine doing a remake. And a writer as as highfalutin as Nora Ephron would never allow that to happen. It's still so weird to me (laughs) that she was attached to this project and that she wrote it. It's a really strange thing, isn't it? And but in a way, the bits that you can tell are hers are the bits that make it shine. Are the the bits that are good are probably yeah. down to her more than anyone else. Yeah, there's some very Nora Ephroni stuff in this movie that is good. But because it's good, it jars so much with the rest of the film that it makes it worse almost as a viewing experience. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? It's very it's very disjointed, isn't it? I think it's fair to say. Um both in terms of its structure, but also like you said, in terms of its writing, it feels very disjointed in terms of those sudden tonal shifts in the style of comedy and the style of dialogue it feels like it is two things being put together yeah uh, a peanut butter and jalapeno sandwich oh the old jalapeno on, my favorite on 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 rye bread that's what this movie is jalapeno it's on rye jalapeno on rye Bukowski's most best-selling book <laughs> I should say it was it was co-written with her sister Delia Efron. Yes, yeah. Who is still um, with who us? Delia? Yes, and and she she's worked on a fair few things over the years, including You've Got Mail that we um we've talked about. Yeah, which is a, a great little movie. Um, so it's not as though they they had a disjointed um working relationship, and obviously she did stuff like production on Sleepless in Seattle as well, and everything like that. But I think maybe this is a movie that was in development hell for a long time. Yeah, and I wonder if that really weighed on it. But it's just it's... amazing that it got made. If that's the case, like somebody somewhere just threw enough money at this and went, "Yeah, let it happen." And Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman and Jason Schwartzman and all these <laughs> and Michael Caine and all these good people got together and went, "Yeah, I'll do it." Well, I think it's probably as there's probably a bit of sunk cost fallacy here mm. that because it's been worked on for so long, it's like, well, rather than give up. <laughs> 
let's just let's just keep going and we'll do, we'll get something out the door eventually that's true isn't it yeah back then you could afford to do that now they're like cancelling films where they've already made it haven't they what was that big yeah, one well, that got cancelled recently well they cancelled batgirl didn't that's they? the one which was basically done i was um, gonna say cat and same thing and and to be fair, that is actually also a financial decision in that people are thinking that there's certain tax breaks that they could take if they cancelled it and never showed it, which would mean it would make more money. Uh, of course, um, of course, it's about like some the the, the, re- the reverse of the producers, Islands. essentially. <laughs> yeah, absolutely awful. Um, some tax haven and yeah, bullshit. It, and it just so happens that, I mean, there's been quite a lot of stuff being cancelled recently for financial decisions. And it just so happens that all of these companies that are very proud about doing stuff for Pride Month and saying that they're very LGBTQ plus inclusive, it's an awful lot of LGBTQ plus friendly or um, diverse works are the ones that are being cancelled yeah yeah whether it's the actors involved or the characters involved or the fandom involved just so happens they're the ones that they're deciding you know what we can probably do this one as a tax write-off yeah just fucking dump it interesting that isn't it how far these companies actually care about inclusivity when a tiny bit of money is involved funny that isn't it um anyway that has nothing to do with bewitched but fuck you if your company is is um is tokenistic in its approach to equality diversity and inclusion yeah. not having any of that and if you're ditching films um, for tax reasons instead of releasing them you <laughs> stupid yeah uh, destroying art for a little bit of a tax break love it um but it, it was a financial success sort of um, in 2005 so so it was a it was a it cost 85 million dollars to make which sounds like an awful lot of money for this movie let's be honest for 2005 um box office made 131 million back so it wasn't like a big success and it's still considered a dud but it made its money back yeah so yeah you know it did all right did okay um so a couple of things i liked about it there's a scene with a dog which i liked did you yeah. like the dog scene? Yes, so it was a good dog. There's there's a good dog scene, and it came after an extremely irritating first half hour, and then suddenly there's a dog, and you go, ah, there's a dog. And it's very funny, and it's not doing what the director wants it to do. Um, and yeah, that was good. I liked that. And then um, suddenly Michael Caine's there being Michael Caine. <laughs> yep, Michael Caine's being, there. Being Michael Caine as a dad, as he always is. <laughs> as he always is. As an old, sort of wise, but also vaguely a bit of a dickhead dad. That's yeah. Michael Caine in that every is... film in this era. <laughs> exactly. He he looked like he'd just walked off the set of Goldmember as well. He, was he dressed, really, dressed appropriately. He really did. He really did. Same um, year, right? I think it was, wasn't it? 2005. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also did like, there's a running gag in the movie about Will Ferrell's character being in a terrible movie called Kathmandu. Yeah. And I really like that we'd never exactly find out why people hated it so much that it destroyed his career because it doesn't necessarily look as bad as... Well, it looks about as bad as the other movies that he's been in in his career um, when we see those little snippets of it. But um, I liked that there was that running joke that this is like a cursed project that no Mm. one could talk about. It almost felt like, um, you know, in Toast of London where he's this reviled actor because he's in this play that everyone hates and you don't really find out why yeah. it's been hated. It's a similar kind of thing. And obviously Taste of London does it much better. But um, but I did like that running gag. I thought that was very good. Yeah, and then there's a scene towards the end where they've bro- kind of broken up. She's revealed she's a witch and he's freaked out. And she's watching the TV and every channel she flicks to is one of his films. And they actually had Will Ferrell film all of these kind of different film clips. And that is very funny. And it goes yes. through all the kind of different yeah. styles. That's really good and really funny. And those kind of small touches of sort of lighthearted humour throughout it are good. They just make they just don't work against the backdrop. And similarly, the characterization is good. You know, you, you believe in them. And I thought she was good in this. I don't like her and everything, but she was mostly good. He was good. He was he was Will Ferrell, but he was good, you know. And but it just made zero sense against this kind of meta backdrop that you you just think, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I um I had a little bit less time for Will Ferrell here just because it felt like he was a little bit miscast for it 
I think they needed someone with more um more innate grounding. Like apparently they wanted Jim Carrey initially, but because right. of scheduling it didn't work out and because of all of the development hell. And I think maybe he would have fitted this better in terms of being able to swap between the human underneath the Hollywood mm. jerk. Whereas I think Will Ferrell maybe felt like that that variance didn't quite feel right for him. Because a lot of people would look at it and say, oh, well, Will Ferrell, he's just a silly actor who does silly roles and all he can do is goof around. And like that's not true if you've seen Stranger Than Fiction, in which his oh, performance exactly. is really good. Yeah, Will, and then, Will, Will Ferrell has far more... Will Ferrell has far more depth <laughs> than people give him credit for. I mean, you've got, obviously, Stranger Than Fiction, which is brilliant. Um, but what's the other one that's really good that's actually... That's Holmes another... and Watson. <laughs> Holmes and Watson, obviously. Obviously. Um, I've forgotten the name of it. There's, Anchorman. There's a... <laughs> Ricky Bobby. Yeah, Ricky Bobby. That's definitely Eurovision. the one. I'm, that's definitely. I genuinely have no idea of. which one you're, you're um, talking every, about. Everything must go. Have you seen everything? I haven't must seen go? it. No, we talked about this the um, other day, didn't we? Yeah, that's that's good. It's like a sort of drama comedy thing. And again, he is he's really good in that. He has more depth than people give him credit for. Maybe than he even gives himself credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, but here I don't think this was the right role for him and I think if you put Jim Carrey in this movie for instance doing that real transition between these two characters I think maybe that would have worked a little bit better yeah it's, it's hard to disagree with that and I think Will Ferrell can be serious but he he's going to goof around if you give him the chance and this film unfortunately gave him the chance yeah and some of that goofing around works okay but a lot of the time in this movie, that style of goofing didn't really work. Whereas Jim Carrey's style of goofing maybe would have worked a little bit better. Yeah, it's, it's a very fine line, isn't it? Yeah, the goof Dif- line. different forms of goof. The goof line, <laughs> the famous goof line. That all That's the thing in um, respect. The goof yeah, line. The goof, you never cross the goof line. Exactly. Um, but then you also mentioned Nicole Kidman, who, yeah, is still great in this. I know that they got given they got given a Razzie, and Razzie's a shit yeah. um, in general. Mean but he, they got given they, they got given a Razzie for the worst on-screen couple. And I kind of think, yeah, as a couple, maybe it doesn't... It, maybe it does feel a bit stilted, but I think that in her performance, I think is good as this kind of... She really gets the idea of this being like a pastiche of a human being in this movie that's a pastiche of the original show yeah so she has this strangeness about her which i think works really well and i I do think nicole kidman actually is really underrated as an actor in general and i mean you look at the stuff she's been still been doing recently like um you know the northman nine perfect strangers Mm. um some really good stuff that she's still putting out great work um and I don't think she's ever really had the credit that she deserved for being very, very good, personally. Yeah. She's been in so many great things and a very, very versatile bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so no, kudos to her. I think she was probably the best thing about this movie. Yeah, she was very watchable and, and funny and, you know, the right the right side of the goof line, you know, wasn't she? She was lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And one final thing to point out is that the entirely legitimate version of this movie that I watched, um, the text was German everywhere. So the language oh. was all English. But whenever there was actual written text somewhere, like the for sale sign and things like that, it was all in German. Oh, Which, sorry, I think you mean the, the goofer line, the, the German <laughs> word. Yeah. The goofer line. Yeah. Um, That's which, German uh, for a witch. Which... <laughs> Which which added a certain strange quality to this movie that I appreciate. Oh, excellent. Just um, to throw another layer of, of nonsense on top of yeah. it. So I, I don't really have anything else I need to say about Bewitched. Uh, I wanted to point out Jason Schwartzman, who was quite funny in this. Yeah, as he's a kind of fawning, bag, isn't he? fawning, sleazy assistant. Like, goes from, yeah, fawning over him to also then just, like, having sleazy ideas. But there's a point when they're reading the, like, audience feedback to Will Ferrell and someone says he's a complete tool and that's, that's like a comment that someone said and Jason Schwartzman says yeah but a good tool like a jacksaw <laughs> yeah, that made that's me very laugh. good um, and yeah shout out to um, Shirley MacLaine and Heather Burns Heather Burns um, mm. rom-com royalty Heather Burns for for all sorts of different movies over the years yeah um, 
It's it just nice kind of had no jeopardy, didn't it? It's just like that's the yeah, problem, is, isn't it? Yeah. it? It wasn't sure if the jeopardy was about him finding out she was a witch, or is it the is it her like ability to act in the show, which was kind of a whole thing? Is it like the love between them? Is it the show being made or not made? All of it kind of didn't really that side of it didn't really come together. Yeah. It was not yeah. plotless, but it was it didn't have much of a plot really. No, no, it all kind of just fumbled along and then ended. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, fair enough. That's a decision you can make in your movie making process. I'm not going to hold it against you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's fine. I'm never going to watch this film again. I wrote down here that it had the very good use of the song Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., but I can't remember why. <laughs> I've forgotten already. It was two weeks ago. I also, I also do not remember that it even had that song in it. Yeah. So, I did remember, um, also wrote down that it had the Pina Colada song, which is a song I absolutely loathe. And I don't really know why. You hear it and you're like, no, just just turn that turn that off right now. However, have you ever noticed that you can seamlessly transition from that into um, Hakuna Matata? Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, (laughs) if you like pina coladas, it ain't no passing craze. (laughs) It means no worries. For the rest of your days. My um, my son loves when I sing the "When I Was a Young Warthog" bit, and then go really loud <laughs> of course. in the warthog. Like, run around going, warthog. "I'm a young warthog." <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching Very it with good. him. Actually, that was the first film I ever saw in the cinema. Ah, not the Amazing. the horrific version with um. <laughs> I was going to say. Lines. I was going to say that's the first, first film I ever saw in the cinema. The cinema. I was 28 years old. <laughs> no, no, the original Lion King, 1994. Um, yeah, we did an episode on the horrible new Lion King as well, which I'll put a link to in the show notes as well. That's not for Halloween, but it is kind of horrific. So you could watch that to give yourself a bit of an intro to Spooktober, if you like. We should we should watch The New Little Mermaid when it comes out and give it a great review just to annoy all of the chuds who are angry about there being a, a black mermaid. Yep. <laughs> by the way a black mermaid in a fantasy universe in a fantasy made-up film stupid <laughs> you gotta love internet discourse don't you yeah I, I love it it's my favorite thing <laughs> so um any are we gonna rank are we gonna rank we probably, probably should yeah i'm gonna give it a nine out yeah of wi- a nine out of which Nine, nine witches out of 20 witches. Yeah. 20 potential witches. I mean, yeah. Those nines are mostly for the acting and the characters and that kind of thing, not for the film itself. Weird setup that doesn't work and is too meta and of a thing that nobody cares about. Weird that it got made. Weird that Nora Ephron <laughs> was involved in it. Um, and not good weird, but intriguing weird in some parts. And, you know, worth a watch yeah. if there's nothing else on. But yeah, if you want to see what Nora Ephron's shit piece is like, well, there you go. But you could be watching Sleepless in Seattle or or, um, You've Got Mail or one of her masterful films. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's better better things to be watching. Such as this week's movies, The Crow. Man, I hadn't seen this in a very long time and I'd I'd forgotten just how good it was. I remember it always, always being good, but wow, I was honestly absolutely bowled over by how good this film is yeah it's it's amazing isn't it truly it's probably an annual watch for you i assume yeah so it's become more than an annual watch for me um, daily my, watch my <laughs> pop it on in the morning every, at least three times a day um with every meal <laughs> um no uh the um yeah my, my other half um she had uh never seen it until a little while ago maybe a, maybe a, maybe it was this time last year actually um oh, right. and i said oh well let's watch the crow then if you've never seen it and she fell in love with it immediately um and um and yeah since then it's been a oh shall we watch the crow from her like every month or so and sometimes oh, sometimes nice. i'm like yeah okay let's 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 rewatch it because it is it is very good um but yeah, this was one of my favourite movies when I was younger um, because of the amazing soundtrack and the atmosphere and everything like that. And I think it has held up incredibly well. I don't think that's just nostalgia speaking. I think this is genuinely a really strong film. 
No, absolutely. Because I honestly think I maybe hadn't seen this since I was a teenager, but my impression of it was that it is an amazing film. Mm. Um, and so I'd, I'd forgotten so many of the details that make it what it is. So I don't think it's nostalgia either. I think, yeah, it was almost like seeing it anew, but remembering all of the things that make it great. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so a little bit of an overview. This is a, a goth revenge movie, basically. Yeah. And if you look at it on Wikipedia or you look it up, it'll say it's a superhero movie. But they only say that because it's based on comic books. It's a comic book movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, like it's a comic the crow book. Crow isn't really. He's not really a superhero, is he? He's a he's a an un, an undead, very strong guy who can. It's basically kill people, a vengeful spirit. Yeah, is, is what it is. It's, it's a ghost. I, I always love that on the poster. It says "Believe in Angels," so it's like he's a he's an avenging angel, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um... And so, yeah, he's it's it's basically a ghost story where the people being haunted and murdered are the villains, and the ghost is the good guy. Yeah, it's wrong to lump it in with you know Marvel stuff, isn't yeah, it? just because yeah. it's based on a comic book. Yeah, just because it's based on a comic, that doesn't mean that it's automatically a superhero movie. Um, but instead, you've got this this film that is really, really wrapped up in goth atmosphere, um, yeah. and. Let's just talk about the soundtrack, right? Because this is, for me, the best movie soundtrack. Really? Like, yeah. Of all I mean, time? Of all Has time. Has it got Nine Inch Nails on it? It does have Nine Inch Nails on it, in fact. They do a cover of version of does. Dead Souls by Joy Division. For, for oh, this yes, movie. that's right. Um, but you've got yeah, the Burn by the Cure was kind of the theme song of the film, wasn't it? And I remembered it being later in the film, in my memory. It came in about sort of 15, 20 minutes in. And I was like, yes, here we go. Now we know we're in business. The Avenging Angel is here. It's such a good song. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, Burn is an amazing song. Um, I think one of one of the Cure's best. Who they're one of my favorite bands. Um, and um, did I did I tell you I'm going to see them in December? Yes, you did. Yeah, I'm jealous. It's going to be going to be great. Twilight Sad are supporting as well, so that oh, that will be really good. Um, but then, like, outside of that, you've got Nine Inch Nails, you've got Stone Temple Pilots, you've got yeah. Rage Against the Machine. It made me go Femmes. back and listen to Stone Temple Pilots, actually, after I heard that yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was on the credits as well. Um, I used to love them. Yeah. No, and you... Scott Weiland was a guy who was really talented and was really troubled and, you know, really, really sadly is no longer with us. He was in Velvet Revolver as well, that band that was, like, Guns N' Roses, but without Axl Rose. But he brought a really amazing energy to that band and he was really good. And yeah, it's very, very sad that he's dead. No, definitely. I think Stone Temple Pilots are quite underrated as well when you think about those bands from the era. Um, they kind of get lumped in, but actually they had a huge amount of ability and talent and some great songs in their own right, rather than just being thought of as part of a movement. Um, but you've got other people like Helmet, Rollins Band, Pantera, My Life Helmet. with the... <laughs> great band name, slash awful fun. band name so <laughs> i think it's so bad that it's good yeah no 100 um and then uh, my life of the thrill kill cult which is another amazing <laughs> band name <laughs> uh, do you, are you are you familiar with the music of my life no, of the thrill kill that's cult? a very silly name they're an industrial rock band from like the 80s into the 90s um and uh yeah a very very fun so um yeah they're they're the band that's playing near the end in the club when the guy gets thrown through the window and lands and yeah they all run away that's that's my life the thrill kill cult um, if you'd have asked me to name that kind of band i would have thought it would be something silly like <laughs> it that. would 100 percent be be a name like that wouldn't it um yeah so so it's an amazing soundtrack that is an absolutely perfect fit for this movie and i've established many times on this podcast that the best kind of music is the music that vampires can fuck to yeah and this is a soundtrack that vampires can fuck to, isn't it? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's what this. That's what this. Uh, that's what this movie has. Hundred um, percent. And uh, yeah, it's amazing, and it fits. It fits perfectly. It's got that kind of melancholy, but also that nastiness and that danger and that aggression that really fits in um, with with this film. It's and not so, just the soundtrack. The score is amazing yeah, as well. Yeah. And there's a lot of bit. There's a couple of moments where the, when he. Um, he he go, he's in the pawn shop he takes a guitar and then he kind of carries it around with him for no reason and then there's a scene about two-thirds of the way through where he's just like jamming on a rooftop playing like really loud distorted but chorused you know like lead guitar kind of on its own with it going, just grinding 
And it, that scene serves zero purpose apart from just to, <laughs> just to force cool. the aesthetic of the film through. And it's just, that's the kind of the pinnacle of this film being an aesthetic masterpiece above all else, but still having an incredibly compelling story. Everything about it works. It's it's the same as Blade Runner, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities to be found between this and Blade Runner in terms of that kind of atmosphere, actually, where it's this incredibly bleak, dark city entirely populated by monsters with a few people who have hearts. And it's raining constantly and it's always nighttime, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) But it it does have that kind of same vibe. So if you like the atmosphere of Blade Runner, The Crow is kind of doing that from a gothic angle rather than a cyberpunk angle. Yeah, but it's it's both films are a triumph of storytelling as well as well as yeah. being an aesthetic yeah. masterpiece. You think of it being pri- primarily about the aesthetic of it, but you know you think of the lines. You think of you know attack ships burning off the shoulder of Orion or ever. And in this case, you think of him saying it can't rain all the time, and it's it's stuff like that. It's it's a storytelling masterpiece as well as an aesthetic masterpiece that kind of washes over you. Yeah, and I th- I think this movie does have this automatic structure that helps bring it along um which is that he for there's one thing about this that i don't like which is girlfriend gets raped and murdered which is always uh, women in refrigerators women in refrigerators in a comic book yeah. story which is very tiresome and it's an 18 and i remember at, at school you know watching it when i was about 15 16 when you're like oh it's it's kind of edgy to be watching a film that's rated 18 or it's like you had to it was hard to get hold of a film that was rated 18 and it still is rated 18 you know sometimes a lot of the films that were rated 18 in those days have now had their ratings lowered but um this is still an 18 and there is a lot of very violent stuff in it but it's never gratuitous no and it's never shown for more than kind of a couple of seconds it doesn't linger on both the flashbacks to the traumatic event and the the violence that he perpetrates in revenge it's never lingered on and it does i think it does that really masterfully as well yeah, it does. This isn't a movie that that revels in the violence that it showcases. Um, like you said, that it never lingers on those kind of things. Um, I think the eighteen rating is probably to do with the fact that you see people doing drugs, which is still a no go. Yeah, right. Um, and not because a guy get because um, guy of Gisborne gets impaled on a spike in the cathedral. At the <laughs> That's <end of> fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but yeah, so so in terms of the plot of this movie, like I said, it does have that kind of natural structure. So in, in terms of an overview, if you've not seen The Crow, um, this guy who is a rock musician and his 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 fiance um, get Eric murdered. Eric Eric Draven, great name. Yeah, um, that's what I called my son. Exactly, exactly. Um, they uh, they get murdered by a gang, um, and uh, on on the night before Halloween, on Devil's Night, and then one year later to the day, he comes back from the dead to get revenge on the gang and go and kill them. And he's 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 immortal essentially for the time that it takes for him to to kill them all. So you have that automatic structure of him coming back and then going through the members of this gang and killing them off. And so you have yeah. that kind of structure and those raising stakes as they recognise what's going on, as they seek protection and everything like that. Um, and so it so it has that alongside actually building and developing the world in a really interesting way where you get to understand that this gang is actually working for a much larger crime syndicate, that you recognise the frustrations of the police force, the difficulties of people who are trying to live an honest life in this city it might be the only film i've ever seen where i sympathized with the cops <laughs> yeah so i mean it helps that the the cop albrecht is played by ernie hudson who is yeah. always incredibly charming he's in great. every movie that he's in um and is, is is fantastic in this um but but alongside that you've also got darla and um her daughter sarah who Sarah was kind of taken in by Eric and and, and Shelley, his fiance, and was like looked after and was was basically treated well. Um, where Darla is a, a a drug user who's fallen in with this gang, who's um, one of the wait staff at this club, the, this bar that they often go to, and so so there's this kind of dynamic in there as well about the difficulties of trying to live an honest life in this city when there's all of these dangerous, powerful people surrounding you. Um, 
and what really helps that is how great the performances are as well where um brandon lee r.i.p should have been an incredible movie star and would have been an incredible movie star if he obviously he died during the making of this movie and there's so much to say about the context of this film, isn't there, that affects the the viewing experience. It's really, really hard not to. There's no way you can separate the art from that, is there, really? No, no. It's it's intrinsically linked in the same way that, that Heath Ledger's death is intrinsically linked to The Dark Knight. Yeah. Per- perhaps even more so here than than, than that other example. And we're going, well, I would say even more so because yeah. the yeah, because of the, the film subject matter and the film being about essentially about grief and about love and that kind of thing and but so yeah for for those who don't know Brandon Lee died on the set of the film when a prop gun um that wasn't supposed to have bullets and it had a real bullet in it and was fired at him and killed him um there was towards the end of the filming so they had shot they had shot the whole film pretty much apart from the the like kind of the opening scene which was shot last almost so they they had the film and it was it's basically there um but yeah, so it was an accident, basically. But the creator of the comic, James O'Barr, um, he wrote the comic about how uh, basically it was inspired by when he was 18 or 19, his fiance was killed by a drunk driver. Um, and so the whole it, whole, it comes from a place of just dealing with um, sort of grief and love all kind of mixed in together and experiencing all these kind of heavy things. And then it, so it kind of already had that weight. And then I read this. I didn't realize until I was watched it again and then was reading about it that James O'Barr said that losing Brandon Lee was like losing his fiance all over again. And that just made it feel like a 10 ton weight had fallen on me. Yeah. <laughs> Having yeah. then it's, just watched this film as well. It's, um, yeah, there, there's this real weight behind this movie. And like you said, it's intrinsically linked to, to his tragic passing in so many different ways. And like, I think, you know, there, there, there's, I, I think one of the real tragedies here isn't just that it's it's a loss of life, but like he's so fucking good in this film. It's fantastic. Yeah. He's incredible. And and I don't know if you've watched any of the other movies he was in. Um, no. He's in a great film called Showdown in Little Tokyo, where it's him and Dolph Lundgren um doing a like buddy cop thing. And it's it's yeah, it's it's a really silly action movie. But again, like you could see that he was going to be a massive star and like this movie was going to be a a huge hit because it is incredible and like so it's just it's just really it's a real gut punch that we were we we lost what was going to be an incredible career and just all of those opportunities down the line that Brandon Lee was going to have because in this movie he's he's like everything in this film he's he's charismatic he's he's dangerous he's got that energy behind him where it is that real danger he's threatening to these people who are the most threatening people in this entire city but also there's lots of humor in this film that you wouldn't necessarily expect before you go into it um where where there's all sorts of comedic one-liners that he pulls off when he's doing things but but not done in a cheesy way it kind of works in the moment with this kind of wry sense of humor almost as if robert smith from the cure was an avenging angel going around murdering people you know what i mean it's got a similar kind of vibe um almost every line that he says is sort of quotable isn't it this is this is the kind of dialogue that quentin tarantino thinks he is writing but that he is not (laughs) yes you know when like a guy with guns doing something violent walks into a room and says something clever and you're supposed to think oh that's clever but it's not in this film it's not clever it's just like genuinely funny and engaging but also still makes sense within the revenge arc of the film it's it's a masterpiece yeah i I mean just a few examples of some great lines of dialogue from him so when albrecht um the cop says you move you're dead when he's telling him to to freeze he says uh, and i say i'm dead and i move there's all of these little quippy (laughs) bits of dialogue here and there but then there's also like those those line those like action one-liners like you said that tarantino wished he could write where he's like um he died a year ago they were all dead they just don't know it yet that kind of thing um yeah and yeah so there's all sorts of these he he, he does these he starts quoting the raven by a and poe because of course he does another reason why this movie is beloved by sad goths around the world <laughs> um there, there's all of these incredible bits in there 
This is the best um, goth movie. This is the... Yeah, I can't think of a better goth movie than this. No, I can't. This this is the best goth movie. I'm, I'm sure of it. But then outside of Brandon Lee, who is incredible, I mean, you look at the other performances here, and they're all brilliant. Ernie Hudson's great. Um, Rochelle Davis, who plays Sarah, the little girl, is a really good yeah. child actor in this movie. Um, you know, a really earnest performance. And um, her character is the one that kind of makes it truly moving, isn't it? That's the yeah. thing. This film, yeah. for a, a sort of a, a quite violent and very dark goth film, it's extremely moving. And her storyline does that without it being tacked on, which is, a, you know, a masterclass in storytelling as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, you've got you've got as you mentioned Guy of Gisborne here, Michael, Michael Wincott. Wincott. We, he will Michael always Wincott. be Guy of Gisborne to me. <laughs> See, for me, he's always <laughs> bad guy from the Crow, who I always forget the name of his character, but always as bad guy from the Crow, and um, he's top dollar, top dollar, and he's great in this. He's got this incredible Peter Steele esque long hair. He's talking in that deep raspy voice that he has. He's this terrifying mob boss who does dark magic. He's having sex with his half-sister. It's all really creepy and horrible. And he's a, he's brilliant in this. Genuinely he's a scary man with a big jaw. One of <laughs> Scary man with a big jaw. One of the most impressive villains, I think, in, in action movies. But then you look at the key gang. You've got David Patrick Kelly, who's um, probably best known to people either if they've watched Twin Peaks or if they've watched The Warriors. Oh, yes. In the Warriors, he's the guy who says, Warriors, come out to play. If you've seen that scene, he's 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 him. Um, but he's he's brilliant and everything. Um, you've got Tony Todd. You've got you've you've got Tony Bloody Todd in this movie as like um as Top Dollar's right hand man, the candy man himself. <laughs> yeah. He's fantastic in this. He's really ominous, isn't he? Yeah. He doesn't have yeah. that much screen time, but every time he's there, you're like, you know. He could he's, just like pick you up and crush you in the palm of his hand. He's just there, and like there's that fierce. In, he's the probably the smartest man in the movie who works things out. He has that reflection and understanding of what's going on. And he's smart in the sense that he's always wearing a suit as well. He's like <laughs> he really well dressed compared to all the like weird grungy guys in this film. He's like immaculately dressed the whole time. One hundred percent. And you got you got Michael Massey as Fun Boy as well. Also, R.I.P. to Michael Massey who yeah. died a few years ago. Um, who also, you know, he's been in all sorts of brilliant things over the years um, as well. Um, so you've got all of these incredible people putting in amazing performances, and all of these characters they stand out, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. This, this cast stands out. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a place in this film that is unique to them. Even when this could have just simply been, here's some goons from a gang and they all get killed. All of those goons are really unique and have their own awful, awful personalities one after another. Yeah, and that's why so so many times if the similar subject matter, sort of crime dramas or those kinds of things or similarly dark horror films of which there are many and they're all rubbish. It's like people <laughs> getting, you know, it's people getting killed by a gang for no reason. You know, in this one, it actually does give you the reason later on, which was that, like, she was tr- she was fighting against, uh, like, a, a syndicate that was trying to evict them from the building or whatever. And, like, that, that's just kind of mentioned in passing, but that gives you enough detail, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, you slowly build that context and that understanding of what's going on in this city over time. And I don't think that's, that's something that a lot of these kind of films don't really do. When, you know, because a good vigilante movie is very, very good, but the vast majority of vigilante movies are exploitative arseholery. Yeah. And probably twice the length of this with actually a lot more detail given. But in this film, it's not really about the detail, is it? You just need one little thing. And because you, you get it so much, so much of the story is told through the aesthetic, you don't really need all that stuff, do you? You only need one or two lines of dialogue to tell you what's going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and this film does it does it expertly. Um and another thing to point out is that the the actual action scenes there's there's lots of them, but they're actually all relatively they're all relatively brief, aren't they? Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier about it not lingering over any of the violent parts. None of those scenes last long enough. It's last last not sorry, they last too long. It's like he he shows up, does his one-liners. Kills a guy, 
and often you don't even see the death actually happening on screen. What you see later on is is the yeah, the police cleaning up after it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's you'll you'll see bits and pieces of it, and you'll see some really good action sequences. It's almost like a sort of proto matrix in a way. Mm. It's got that similar kind of feel to the fast paced, but still visceral and of course a trench coat but that fast-paced visceral sort of hand-to-hand combat comes up a few times in this movie and it's always handled really well but like you said there's that there's that brevity to it isn't there that really helps it stay in place it's not excessive and it keeps the it keeps the momentum going all the way through and you you've still got that mystery about who the crow is and what he can do yeah that that it doesn't feel the need to tell you anything does it no directly exactly exactly. so you just see sort of like the blood pattern of a crow on the wall or you see him light the fire of the crow symbol that kind of thing yeah and there's an actual crow following him around all the time and there's there's a one line of dialogue read by the kid at the beginning as a voiceover saying though they believe that um, if people are meant to be together or people have unfinished business, a crow will bring them back from the land of the dead or whatever. And you're like, yeah, that's what's happened. Fine. I'll accept that. Here we are. Yeah. It's like, okay, he's back and he's going to, he's going to fuck shit up. And then the um, um, guy of Gisborne's half sister, she realizes, she thinks that, oh, if, if they, if they kill the crow, then they can kill him, which turns out to be kind of half true, but then he still manages to be okay anyway. And you're like, yeah, fine. It doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, he can he can now die, but he's still going to end you. Yeah, and and her death as a character, um, played by Bay Ling, um, her death. Oh though, yeah, that is that is the grimmest one. It probably, is the worst it? one, yeah. and it's probably the most gratuitous. But I think it kind of works because it all ties up in the sadism of her character that's been showcased throughout the movie. Um, you only see the like kind of pecked out eyes for half a second yes yeah so her eyes get pecked out by by the crow and then she falls to her death down a church um bell tower but you don't see much of it and just i love that the climax is in a a big old scary old church as it should know you know i always love that (laughs) climax in a church or up a tower is the best climax yeah well this has both and then on the roof as well at the end always love that yeah yeah it's it's like ultimate beauty and the beast isn't it yeah, Gaston it at the end even with the gargoyles and everything like that it's uh yeah ah oh. um but yeah no it's, it's an amazing climax scene because again you do have that sudden there's that sudden shift of vulnerability in the main character that's not been there throughout the entire film yeah and but he but he has been vulnerable in just enough moments to not feel like this kind of just immortal guy who's just going around killing everyone it's like the scenes where he's with Sarah are moving and he's kind of talking to um, to Ernie Hudson in some scenes and like just ju- kind of having a chat with him in his apartment. And it's, it's almost a bit a bit jarring, but it's not because it makes sense because you know that he was a guy who was in love. And it actually, that really hammers home that it's actually film, the film that is about love, isn't it? And actually is a romantic film. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And I mean, that's part of the reason why I felt we could fit it into this podcast is that there is romance at the heart of this movie there is that love that is enduring and in fact the final line of the entire film is that real love lasts forever isn't it that's the the final line of dialogue in this movie is around love um in many ways the message of this film is live laugh and love (laughs) i think you'll find that the message of this movie is uh gaslight gatekeep girl boss thank you very much yes um but yeah it's it's um it it does have love as an enduring thing throughout this movie and yes he's this avenging spirit but like he's still a human deep down with the same emotions and the same loves that he had in his character here he's come back with that recognition that he's he's coming for revenge but he doesn't lose sight of what that revenge is for no of course he's not gratuitously killing anyone you know he doesn't kill the pawn shop owner guy does he I mean, he just tortures pawn shop, but, you know, the guy deserved it. <laughs> I mean, he did very much deserve it. Capitalism in a character in terms of, um, you know, uh, making financial uh, gains off the suffering of innocent people. Yeah, and he doesn't kill Dala. He may, he convinces her to try and step up and be a better mum, which is a really nice moment. Yeah, and does some kind of weird magic 
um, get the get the morphine out of her system. Yeah, it like squeezes out of her arm in a weird way. And then there's a there's a scene between her and Sarah where she's like making her breakfast in a surprisingly okay apartment for a, <laughs> a crackhead. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a, a surprisingly nice apartment, isn't it? Yeah, but um, and Sarah Sarah's like she's a, d- initially doesn't really trust her. She's saying, "How do you like your eggs?" And she's like, "I don't even like eggs." And then she's kind of arguing, and then it's like she's going to take it away, and then she goes, she says how she likes them, and that's very moving as well. Very simple, but very moving. Yeah, no, it all it all works amazingly well, doesn't it? There's there's a human there's a human center to this story that without that it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work. Would it? No, and it's almost more human for the fact that he's an undead avenging angel. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's it, it gives him the opportunity to have that humanity, I suppose, in a way that that maybe otherwise wouldn't be available. Yeah, it's just brilliant. It just works on every level, and it's genuinely really engaging and moving. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. And I I, I felt the same when I first saw it. It probably affected me even more. I've never seen anything like it. No, and it's not a film that anyone's really been able to emulate at all. Um, the closest you get is other movies by Alex Proyas, mm. who oh, um, uh, <laughs> all the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh no, that's the cinematographer, um, Darius Volsky. <laughs> He's done all the Pirates of the Caribbean ones. <laughs> I'm like, I can kind of <laughs> see that. Yeah, but also did Prometheus and Sweeney Todd and a whole bunch of other things, but. Yeah, hats off to him because cinematically, it's that's kind of the the best thing. That's kind of the, the peak of it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, look at, looking at, I, I don't know if you've ever seen Dark City. No, which is the other big. Uh, Alex Proyas has done various movies over over the years. Some of them have been good. Some of them have not. Um, he did a movie with our boy, um, Will Smith. Nicholas- <laughs> Nicholas Cage he didn't knowing which is the one where it's like a sort of disaster movie that also has like psychic children in it it's very strange I've never seen that that um, looks great <laughs> it is it is a shit piece I think is probably the best way to describe it he also did, and he did iRobot which I think is also kind of a shit piece yeah and iRobot I is interesting because it's based on that very high concept Asimov novel yeah but then it turns into a cheeky Will Smith venture um and is is a very enjoyable movie I think iRobot yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it ends up being a sort of goofy yeah extension of the Willennium, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, but but yeah, and then Gods of Egypt was did not do very well, which is a oh, movie that looks about terrible movie about the gods of Egypt. Apart from they all happen to be white guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've got you've got Jared. Apart Butler. from they look like the support band at a U two concert. <laughs> <laughs> you've got Jared Butler and you've got um, Nikolai Costa-Woldau. And then, I mean, you do have Chadwick Boseman in it, but I think that's, he's too good for, for Gods yeah. of Egypt. But, but he Dark, was a Chad. But Dark City is a, is a really good, interesting little movie where it's almost like a gothic film noir with one of the strangest plot twists I think I've ever seen in a film. And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. You should go and watch it on your own. It's starring really, Rufus Sewell, Kiefer Sutherland. Yep, Jennifer Connolly, William yeah. Hurt. It's got this great cast of people. Um, it's it's very, very strange. And I highly recommend people go and watch it because it is one of the most unique films. But that's the only other movie I've seen that really has quite the same atmosphere as The Crow manages to to build. Like I said, Blade Runner's got the same kind of vibes, but for a cyberpunk lens. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of that kind of gothic, bombastic nature... Those are really the only two that, that quite get it right. Yeah. And of course, there's all the Crow sequels, which are awful. I've not seen any of them and I don't want to. I... Because The Crow is a perfect film. I know that like the comic book universe is bigger. There's probably loads of stuff you could draw on. But The Crow is so good that like no sequel could ever, ever be as good or match up. And like there's so much about it and so much that went into it that... I just can't see how a sequel could be anything but a disappointment. Yeah, and I've equally, you know, I've never watched any of them because, I mean, out of interest, I watched the trailer to, I think, The Crow 2. And it was just 
bad <laughs> and was like nope not not doing this i'm not going to i'm not going to do this this movie is a standalone thing for for me um i've actually never read the comic book me neither i'd mm. like to actually yeah I've yeah. got the chance. I think I think I might I might get it and give it a read, um, because also I think because like you said, it's been a much wider thing, and there's been all sorts of different eras of the comic book, and they've done lots of different things with it. But as far as I'm aware, you can't really get any of them apart from the first one in terms of like trade paperbacks anywhere in this country. Right. Okay. Because he he was never that bothered about selling it. He wrote it for and drew it for himself. Which, you know, in terms of the kind of the, the purity of the story and the message, it never feels sort of tacked on or cheap. And I think that's kind of why, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a very personal thing and there's no need to continue deliberately pushing it outside of what feels like needs to be written. Um, which I think is a really important way to do to do this, you know. Um, is is to have that kind of um, that that kind of authenticity for a story like this? I think is really required, and that's probably another reason why the sequels didn't didn't work. Yeah, they lacked that. They talked about one being done by Rob Zombie, which has never made. That would have been cool. The Crow twenty thirty seven, <laughs> which is basically yeah, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, directed by Robert Zombie. Not gonna lie, I mean, I love. Robert Zombert, as he's as he's known to his friends, um, I'm a big fan of his, but I don't want to see a Crow remake from him. I don't think that's the kind of movie that he's good at. Um, give give me Rob Zombie's like really horrible, nasty movie without humanity, and I'm all all for it. Although the Monsters movie, I've not watched it yet, but the trailer the does trailer look really, really fun. Yeah, yeah. The trailer, I was like, oh, this looks fun. I want this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do like some of his other films, Rob Zombie. He does some very, very nasty little grindhousey horror films. House of a Thousand Corpses is a shit piece, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I remember seeing that around the same time as I saw The Crow. Where you've got um, Rain Wilson being turned into a weird fish man. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. No, <laughs> no notes, Rob Zombie. Absolutely perfect movie nothing to change about it whatsoever um and then he gets a bit weirder with some of his later films rob zombie actually um the lords of salem is a really strange film and it's it's well worth a watch not when your children are around <laughs> i might add yeah but but it is a very it's a very worthwhile watch he's done some really interesting things um yeah, and i didn't show still... my son the crow might might start no. with the lion king first yeah i'd recommend not starting with the crow for people just yet um but Rob Zombie's still making good music as well. He released an album last year. Yeah. Um, which was which was good. I enjoyed it. Still 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 zombieing it up. It's all good. Um but yeah. What have you got anything else you want to say about about the crow? Um no, I think I've I think I've covered everything. There's a very funny scene when um it shows some cops in a car eating donuts and drinking coffee and then the siren goes off and they have to drive away and they spill <laughs> yes. the coffee on themselves and they're screaming because it's hot. That yeah, that, really made me laugh. There's that one guy with the coffee who's just going, ah! It's very, very <laughs> The funny. way that guy screamed was hilarious. Yeah, it's really well done. Um, and that, and that's what I mean is there are those comedic moments in this film. There, there's, this, there's this heart and warmth to it for its humour and for its characters where when people go oh yeah it's so gritty and dark it's actually well actually there's a lot of there's a lot of authenticity in there it's not doing it to be edgy and i think that's why i loved it at the time as well because it was that we were all like oh we're going to watch this really scary edgy like 18 rated film um and then i actually i took from it that it was you know a gothic masterpiece rather than an aesthetic masterpiece and yeah rather than reveling in the violence as we might have done with other films that we were watching at the time yeah, exactly. It's um you know, it's it's not something that that really rolls about in its own filth <laughs> as <No>. it were. <laughs> it's it's just it's just there doing its thing and it's great. Um I wanted to say that the, there's kind of towards the end when he goes to find the last of the gang and he, he sort of meets Guy of Gisborne for the first time at Sun Halloween and he's saying, what are we going to do now? Because Devil's Night is, they've got Devil's Night Hallmark cards now. I want to do something bigger. And it's like, 
he's it's they're in a big room they're all sitting around the table it's like he's having his kind of marketing meeting for his nefarious plan and the, the setup of it made me chuckle Guy it's so good his marketing it? meeting <laughs> yeah i mean i mean mob bosses have got to have their marketing meetings as well how can we market devil's night the devil's <laughs> night was a thing in detroit that's the thing as well this is really grounded in reality as well mm. um of people like causing riots and setting fire to stuff through i think as early as the 60s maybe in the 70s it was a big problem in the 80s and then as you say it started to become yeah a more commercialized thing like like christmas you know <laughs> but yeah um, yeah exactly it's based you know, on reality it's yeah there's lots kind of, of out of thin air lots of people setting fires in De- it was detroit and there was something similar in philadelphia as well when you look yeah. at the the cities in sort of that kind of when you're getting down into the rust belt and that kind of area um and um yeah it's it's nice that it does have that um that grounding like you said that grounding in reality um there's also a uh i don't know if you've ever watched american horror story no never there's uh, an episode of one of so each each series is a different setup a different story and one of them was was hotel and it's all about a haunted hotel and they did an episode about devil's night and there it's like the a really shitty premise that was it's kind of incredibly tasteless that right. basically all of these serial killers ghosts come back and then have a dinner together <laughs> So you've got like Eileen Vernos, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, John Wayne Gacy sitting around a table having a little chat about how they're serial killers. And That's like, really yeah, silly. This, this is this is definitely really respectful to the to the families of the victims of these serial killers, isn't it? Yeah, really well done, guys. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just like okay, fine. Um, you want to talk about things that are grounded in reality well versus things that are grounded in reality badly. <laughs> <laughs> American Horror Story when it tries to do things in real life grounded badly <laughs> I think is probably the, the best way to describe it yeah oh dear um, anyway yeah anything else um, anything else you wanted to, to share about about uh, this film no I I think that's it I, I, I wrote down that in many ways it's a simple film the premise is quite simple it's executed in quite a simple way. Nothing about it is overdone, but at the same time, mm. it's overwhelming how good it is and how aesthetically brilliant it is. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I, I guess it's a movie to if you like the feel of stuff like Interview with the Vampire, mm. or I suppose um, Bram Stoker's Dracula as well. Yeah. It's if you not, like, not a million miles away. If you like the kind of feel of those, but you want something more bombastic and immediately exciting, um, then this is a really good movie to go for. In fact, I, th- I think a lot of people should watch this movie. Maybe not if you're particularly worried about violence, because it is it is violent. It's not gratuitous, but it is a violent yeah. movie. If you, if you're genuinely like squeamish about violence and horror, it's probably not for you. But if you're not necessarily into it, but if you have an open mind you will find a film that is really engaging, you know, beautiful and moving. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And badass as well, with him playing guitar <laughs> on a badass. rooftop and then destroying it. Yeah, well, more, I mean... Having if you his came Kurt Cobain back, moment. <laughs> if you came back as an immortal ghost, who was also an awesome rock musician, you would 100% do exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's and obviously you, what I do. You don't got to worry about your guitar short-circuiting in the rain and electrocuting you to death, because you're already a ghost. Yeah, or I would front a bombastic metal band and tour the world, like Ghost, the band. <laughs> like Ghost, the band. <laughs> who exactly. I love, by the way. Yeah, that's the other route you could go down, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh. And on yeah, the like in a bunch of the fight scenes, he like yeah, the first one actually where he goes up against the guy and he throws the knives at him and he avoids the knives and then he clasps the knife in midair with two hands. You're like, yes, that's cool. And it feels really real. Whereas if you made it today, it would be some kind of stupid um, CGI nonsense, and you'd be like, yeah, that looks cheesy. But it feels really authentic here, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's pre the Matrix, so they don't feel the need to do any kind of bullet time bullshit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just fast and intense. Yeah. And, you know, contextually as well, I also just wanted to mention, you know, that obviously Brandon Lee was Bruce Lee's son. And Bruce Lee died when Brandon Lee was really young as well. It was, um, Bruce mm. Lee died when he was 32 and Brandon was eight. So th- that's kind of another layer of tragedy on top of the incredibly tragic context of this film, which does give it a- another sort of layer of emotional resonance, I think. Yeah, 
yeah no again there's there's that that awful symmetry isn't there um which yeah. um which is which is yeah it's it's just really sad really sad um so in which case how are we going to how are we going to rank this movie then oh I, d- I don't know how many how many people are coming to guy of gisborne's marketing meeting <laughs> how, how many how many <laughs> terrifying mobsters are at your marketing meeting paddy <laughs> Yeah, before the crow jumps through the window. <laughs> um, and, uh, let's see, I'm going to give it a 19 out of 20. Honestly, it's oh, genuinely yeah. that good. It'd probably be in my top 10. If I, you know, I always say that and I'd never actually bothered to try and think of my whole my whole list, but it probably would be in my top 10. It is It is a beautiful movie. Yeah, I'm going to go do the same. I'm going to give it a 19. I'm going to knock one point off because it's not, there's not quite as much romance as maybe there should be for this podcast. So I, yeah. feel like I can't give it perfect score, but this is a, oh, it's a damn fine film. But it ends in a very romantic way. And you see um, Shelley, his, his fiance, you see her then come and lie with him in the grave and it's or on top of the grave. And it's like, that is genuinely moving as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, there we go. So yeah, very, very good. What uh, What is next? So something very different to follow next. That. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to follow it. We're going to be watching uh, a movie called Werewolves Within. Okay, I know nothing about this film. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Within 2021 film, this is quite recent. It is a it is a recent movie. It is a recent film. Okay, horror slash comedy. Okay, I'll stop there. I won't try and talk about it. Yeah, go go and go and give it a watch, and uh, yeah, let me know. Let me know what you think next week. Sounds good. All right. Well, this has been Big Boys Don't Cry, the first episode of Spooktober. And we're going to talk about scary films that have some element of romance. Um, look back over our previous Halloween episodes if you want to. If you want to get some good recommendations there, we've covered some pretty cool stuff in the past as well. Um, but I'm really, really excited to be sharing this with you once again. Yeah, this is the most wonderful time of the year for me, at least. I love it. Yeah, love, it a, love a spooky season. Yeah, me too. And also, the crow's on Netflix, so you've got no excuse. Yeah, go watch it. Go, go watch it. It's right there for you. Absolutely, go and watch the crow. All right, well, um, there is a link in our show notes to where you can give us money. It's like a virtual tip jar. You can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us, bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you, and we'll be back next week to talk about Werewolves Within. All righty, bye-bye. Bye. Ooh.